Amen. Thank you very much, Emma. And yes, I'm back from last week. <laughs> it's not any warmer than it was last week. <laughs> so if you see me jigging about, it's the combination of the Holy Spirit and trying to keep warm. Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we're continuing our series in Acts. And uh, I want to ask a question this morning. Um, when you, you hear the word character, um, what, what comes to mind? It, it may be a reflection on your own character. It, it may be a, a character from a, a film or a, a novel. It, it can be used in, in various ways. You know, while I'm thinking about character traits this morning, and it's something that we all have, uh, some good, some not so good. <laughs> and we can often think of them as part of our genetic makeup. They're fixed, they're unbending. But yet, for the Christian a new creation in Christ. We have an active agent uh, at work in us, the Holy Spirit, who's transforming us, uh, cultivating in us the characteristics of Christ. And hence the reason I've called it this morning, the character of a Christian. You know, when I was reflecting on this passage that we're just about to read, I was struck by something in both the characters in this story by both men. Something I believe is intrinsic to the children of God. Now, initially, because we've been following, Philip uh, dominates this passage. But if you look closely, there is something impressive, something wonderful about this unknown Ethiopian. Both of them encompass what I feel is like the fundamental characteristics of a Christian. And when we allow ourselves to throw ourselves into allowing these characteristics to be cultivated, to grow in us, I'm sure you will find great joy in following Jesus. And so with that, let's turn to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 26 to verse 40. And it reads, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandak, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading from the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip said. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or, or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptised them. 
When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Amen. Now, there's a, a, a whole range of characteristics I could have drawn from this passage, but I have six in mind. That sounds like a lot, but <laughs> I'll, I'll stop at six. And the first one is be, be tentative to the voice of God. And therefore it throws out the question, are you tentative to the voice of God? You know, I remember somebody describing once the voice of God, the Spirit of God, as being like a, a, a feather. It's a, a lovely illustration, image of the Holy Spirit as he operates and comes upon us. But it also conveys a responsibility because we need to be careful not to miss it. You see, it can fall so gently sometimes that if we find ourselves preoccupied by something else, we can so often miss it. Just reading the passage, we assume that what Philip was met with was a tangible, uh, angelic being. That would be kind of difficult to miss. But he's not the first. I'm reminded instantly of the, the prophet Balaam, who on the road failed to see the angel that was standing right in front of him. <laughs> the reason was that his mind was preoccupied. He was fixed against the purposes of God. But that's not the case with Philip. He's a man whose, whose mind, whose spirit, whose whole being is focused on seeing and looking and hearing God wherever and op every opportunity he can. And it raises the question, are we actively looking and seeking what God is doing here in the everyday ordinary? Yeah. Our pat answer might be a kind of sheepish yes. <laughs> Because we know it's not out of the possibility, just like Adam and Eve, to sometimes be actively avoiding <laughs> what God is saying and wanting us to be involved in. You know, I remember a, a summer mission uh, quite a few years ago when I was, uh, had an opportunity to work with some of the New Frontiers folk. And it was a summer camp uh, where we were ministering the power of the Holy Spirit. And quite a few people who came into that tent said they could see an angel uh, in our midst. I have to admit, I didn't see the angel, but what I did see was the power and the presence of God operating in that place. I could feel it tangibly, and I could see healings. I could see and hear prophetic words being spoken over people's lives. You know, we need to be always looking and seeing God in the everyday ordinary. And, you know, it's a reminder as well to always be open uh, to consider the counsel of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because sometimes, too, they operate in the ministry of the angelic. They bring words of revelation, words of direction, prophetic words. So remember, let's be a people who are always looking and listening for God. But then it raises the question, how do we cultivate that posture of looking and listening for God? In a sense, it's not a difficult answer. In a sense, it's just... Slow down. Put first things first. Make seeking God the first priority of your life. First things first. And I, and I still remember this illustration, but Tozer captured it lovely. It was, he told a story of two men uh, looking at the horizon, watching the sunrise. 
One man sees the image of a sovereign gold coin. The other man, the man of God, sees the glory of God being manifest in the whole world. Always be on the lookout for what God is doing and saying, even in your own everyday ordinary. My next point is this. Have faith enough to move. It's a strange kind of way of putting it, I admit, but I want to convey that idea of what Jesus says. You know, faith the size of a mustard seed. In any given moment, all we need is faith enough to do the thing that God is asking us to do. If you notice the direction it was given to Philip, it wasn't a great revelation. It just said, go south the road, the desert road. And that's it. <laughs> I must admit, I'm not a great one for following directions. If anyone says anything more than go left or go right, I'll forget or I'll get lost. In all things concerning the word of God, following God's counsel, set your mind on a thing God has called you to do in that moment. Don't be distracted by the what ifs or maybe I should do this or I should have done that. You know, even the great heroes of faith like Abraham, they would have avoided a great deal of uh, aggro and discomfort if they just set their mind to follow the one thing God had called them to do, rather than looking for shortcuts or trying to uh, preempt what God is doing. Just have faith enough to act and respond in what God is calling you to do in that moment. What I'm saying is you only need enough faith that like, a, like a sphere of light that encompasses us, enough to see the next step in front of us. We know that Philip was a man of faith. Was it great faith, small faith? It doesn't really matter. It was faith enough to move. And you know what? He, he didn't know where he was walking to. He didn't know how far down the road he had to go. He didn't know when he should stop, what he was looking for. But he believed enough to take that step. And as he acted on faith, so the revelations were unveiled with each step. Faith always precedes action. You know, our walk with God could be likened to a grand dot the dot. We rarely ever see the end before the end. <laughs> but I bet he never anticipated the meeting that was waiting for him at the end of this road. I want to encourage you this morning. Have enough faith. Just do the thing that God has called you to do this day. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Mm. And I want to encourage you, as you take that small step of faith, just be focused on obeying the word of God on your life right now. What is he pressing on your conscience this morning? If it's in alignment with scripture, then go for it. Maybe it's to show compassion to someone. Maybe it's to offer a, a great um, act of generosity. Maybe it's to rally behind a cause. Maybe it's to pray for healing for a stranger. You know, obedience is its own reward, which is true, but it's even more wonderful when we see God acting in our small infantile steps of faith. That's, God, God is all, that's all that God is asking you to do this day. So go for it. Next, be a people who put aside prejudices and preferences. That's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? <laughs> prejudices and preferences. Put them aside. <laughs> you know, Philip, on his faith journey, 
as he goes us down south, he meets an Ethiopian eunuch. We're told he's an important official in charge of all the treasure of the Kandak, the Queen of Ethiopia. Now, this is, this is wonderfully amazing. <laughs> you know, we know that Scripture has a plethora of interesting characters, but none of them are ever accidental or just by chance. And I never appreciated the significance of this character until I started reading more into this passage. It tells us he was an Ethiopian and he was a eunuch. It doesn't say a great deal to us today, but if we consider him through the eyes of a first century Jew like Philip, I would have found me perhaps approaching this man a little bit uncomfortable, to say the least. First and foremost, he was a Gentile, a non-Jew, And furthermore, he was a eunuch, a man whose body had been mutilated or perhaps through birth. It had rendered it, in a sense, well, as it was perceived then, as a man unfit to be in the presence of God. Philip, in all his Judaistic nationalistic pride, would have found approaching this man uncomfortable, to say the least. Perhaps desperately hoping that God maps will take him a little bit further on his journey till he finds somewhere or some company a little bit more familiar. You know, it's funny that despite the testimony of Scripture and the testimony of the ages, we still often kick against the character traits that God wants to cultivate in us. And that is to minister to those we often love the least. You know, if you put a hundred professing believers in a room for a week, you'll come back the following, you'll find the vault segregated into various different groups. That's what happens when we're left to our own devices. But that's why God has given us his spirit, he's given us his word, because without it, we could never do it. You know, one of the most wonderful illustrations of the church I ever experienced myself was many years ago, I attended a prison fellowship weekend training event. And at the close of the weekend, we had a service together. And the worship was wonderful, but I'll tell you what was most beautiful. We see the, 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 how that congregation, how it was, what it was composed of. It was composed of former victims of crime and former perpetrators of crime. It was a congregation of uh, prosecutors and defendants <laughs> from across the whole social gamut. But you know what was lovely? We were one single body in Christ. And you could feel, not tangibly, just the the, the sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit, but the love that existed between these, such a diverse group of people. We were one. And that in itself would have been a testament to the reality of God's presence in the world itself for any stranger coming into our midst. It shouldn't surprise us. You know, the command went out long ago and the Spirit has already come. So like Philip... Put aside your preferences, your prejudices, and minister to those that you love the least. And even as I say that, I'm conscious that there might be somebody who suddenly comes to mind, or maybe even a group of people that you'd rather somebody else minister to. That discomfort may be the only sign that you need to go and stand over there next to them. Now, Returning to Philip, as he continued on this road and he meets this Ethiopian, he's perhaps pleasantly surprised to find that this man is actually a God-fearer, as he finds him reading from the book of Isaiah. 
And even at this early stage, I want to turn to the Ethiopian himself, because even at this early stage, we see character traits in this man, something to be emulated in ourselves. First and foremost, a zeal for God. And maybe for some of us this morning, it's rekindle a zeal for God. You know, there's much to commend this Ethiopian to us. We know he doesn't belong to the institutionalized faith of Israel. He wasn't brought up a Jew. He isn't a Jew. He's an outsider. And it wasn't a matter of convenience for him to become a God-fearer. Perhaps he owes his his faith to uh, early Pharisaic uh, missionaries. But a distinction remains nonetheless. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. And by the marks on his body, the, uh, some would have considered the desecration of his body would have put further restraints on how welcome he was into the worshipping community in the temple. And yet, despite all this, he is someone who has come to put his faith in the living God. As I said, not a Jew by any sense, but having chosen through conviction that God is the one true God. And anyone who's prepared to break from their ancestral traditions, who's prepared to change their perspective on life in the face of what is safe and comfortable, is someone who's a potential great witness for Jesus. It throws a question out to us then, doesn't it, as to why do you follow Christ? Are you convinced of the truth of the gospel this morning? And if you are, what cultural norms are you prepared to break from to make your allegiance to Jesus known? You see, this man hasn't even been exposed to the light of the gospel yet, but even now he has an unbending confidence in the God of Abraham. And he's hungry for more of God. What a guy, eh? (laughs) You know, I see reflection of the Roman centurion who impressed Jesus so much with his faith and his conviction. Jesus has a purpose for this Ethiopian. Not for what is natural to the man, but with what Jesus has already been stirring up inside him. I put it to you this morning. Dig deep into yourself. Find that person of conviction. Find that zeal. And if it's lacking, then crawl out to God. God, give me a zeal for your house. Give me a zeal for you. When Philip approaches him, he finds him reading from the book of Isaiah. And it's true what they say about Isaiah. It's the book above all books in the Old Testament that brings the closest of lenses to the Messiah, the Christ, the one who was promised. His nature, his mission, his purposes, more than any other book. So much so that it's often a key passage when in conversations with our Jewish brothers and sisters. And what does it say? He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a slam before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. And his humiliation, he was deprived of justice, who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth. You know, in Genesis, we learn the nature of a fall. In the book of Exodus, we learn the reason for a a sacrificial atoning uh, death. But here in Isaiah, it brings it all home that there is a single person in history who stood in our stead. And it's the man, Jesus Christ. If you revisit that point in your own life when you came to Christ, you can imagine what this Ethiopian is going through right at this moment. The quandary that he's in. Who is this person? Who has suffered unjustly on my behalf, on behalf of others? Somebody else died in my stead. Who is it? Why did he do this? 
What did he rescue me from? What happened to him? What will happen to me? A thousand questions and many more are busting in his mind. This man is ready for a, an alpha course. <laughs> He's ready to hear the good news. <laughs> I want to put it to you this morning as well. Seize every opportunity to share the good news. Look what the eunuch said. He said, he asked Philip, tell me, please, <laughs> who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. You know, Peter uh, encourages in his letter in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do you remember the quickening in your spirit when you came to Jesus? Do you remember the joy, the delight, the grace, the salvation that you've experienced? And as you meditate on that, you will have no greater impetus than reflecting on that in itself to then go and share the good news. You know, the more we reflect on what we actually have in Christ... The volume of it will just, it cannot be contained anymore. You will have that push, that impetus to want to go and share it. Do it. <laughs> Don't wait. Seize every opportunity when you see it, take it. But do it in gentleness and with respect. And finally, be all in. You know, when we look at this uh, Ethiopian, there's no procrastination as far as he's concerned. He has heard enough. The Spirit of God has already been doing much of the work in him. And he demonstrates a zeal and a passion for God. And he wants to be recognized as among the believers in Christ by being baptized. You know, from what I've seen in this Ethiopian, in this brief window of opportunity, I'm convinced of his commitment to Jesus. His act of baptism is the final confirmation of the transformation that's occurred in this man. And how I wish I, I could follow him uh, even more so. But we know that he went home filled with joy. Filled with the joy of knowing Christ, the joy of his salvation. And you know, according to history, I think it was St. Frematus is credited uh, we're bringing the Christian faith to Ethiopia in the 4th century. But, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced. <laughs> he might get the, 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 the accolades. But there was many more who came before him, and I count this Ethiopian certainly as one of them. Given his title, his position, his role, and his sheer giving himself over to the likeness of Christ. A force for transformation. Christ being replicated in every place. What about where you are? I want to encourage you this morning, these characteristics that we find in Christ, let them be found in you as well. Be Christ wherever you are in the everyday ordinary. Have that zeal for God that takes every opportunity to share the good news. I'm going to take a, a moment 
for those of us who may be here, here this morning, or maybe you're in the same position as the Ethiopian, you have many questions, a quandary, you want to, you know there's something more. And you want to know Christ. So I'm going to pray a prayer and you can pray it with me. Let's do that just now. Father, you offer me salvation. You offer me rescue from my sins, my regrets of the past. Lord, you offer me eternal life. You offer me a relationship, an everlasting that will go on to eternity, a friendship, a, a, a daughtership, a sonship. I've been recognized amongst your children. Lord, I want that. And Lord, I recognize that there's no other way to you other than through the man, Jesus Christ, your very own son who gave his life as a ransom. He died for my sins. Father, I accept that. And I hand over my future to you. My life is in your hands. Lord, I ask for your grace, your forgiveness. Accept me as your child. Fill me with your spirit. May the life of Christ be replicated in me now. May I live as Jesus lived. Lord, I'm yours. Amen.